passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock here alongside Waiting, coming out of tonight's edition of Dynamite. And we are going to be starting off the show by discussing the passing, the very unfortunate passing of Jay Briscoe, uh, Jamin Pugh, who died on Tuesday at the age of 38 after a, a horrible uh, car wreck in Delaware. And we will get into those details, but that is obviously uh, the top story that is going on right now. And I thought that that was the, um, the overall shadow to me way over tonight's episode of Dynamite. I thought that it was to me the, most uh, pressing thing and just seeing a lot of the performers on the show. I think you could see that like so many people that uh, have worked with this individual for years. And it just seems, um, you know, throughout last night and today, just tons of tributes for him and just a a sea of memories and condolences and, you know, not to as well forget the fact that, you know, two of his children were in, in the car, in the pickup truck as well. And, what one of them is very much struggling. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, be, beyond I think the night of wrestling, I, I really just I, I think the entire wrestling world, um, internationally, even um, this this has kind of you know obviously been been top of mind, and and I would say, um, I mean, personally, has certainly affected me. You know, just uh, just in even trying to understand it all, and and you can't understand it. Um, it's, it's just it. it such a tragedy. Um, I, I certainly was not in the mood of really watching wrestling tonight. Um, to mm-hmm. me, it was just, um, you know, it's, you know, here is a, a father, a husband, a son, a brother. Um, this, you know, sadly is Mark Briscoe's birthday today on top of it. It's you just think about what that family is going through. And, it, you know, I'm just going to share um, the, the details um, for those that maybe are not up to speed on what occurred because the Delaware State Police, they did put out a statement today and giving a bit more uh, detail into exactly what happened. So on Tuesday at around 5.09 p.m., um, Jay was in his uh, Silverado driving westbound on Laurel Road 
And at the same time, another Chevrolet Silverado was traveling eastbound on Laurel Road in the same vicinity. And they state for unknown reasons, the driver um, that was approaching Jay and his family uh, failed to remain in her lane. It was a single driver that was approaching them, crossed the center line, entering the eastbound lane directly into their path. And this resulted in a head-on collision between the two pickup trucks in the eastbound lane. Um the driver that was approaching Jay and his family was 27-year-old Lily Ann Turnahan of Frankfurt, Delaware, who was wearing her seatbelt. Um, the driver of the other vehicle, Jamin Pugh, a.k.a. Jay Briscoe, was not wearing his seatbelt. Both drivers were pronounced dead at the scene. The two passengers in Pugh's pickup truck, identified as his 12-year-old daughter and 9-year-old daughter, were both properly restrained. Both girls were taken by ambulance to an area hospital and were admitted admitted in critical condition. Alcohol involvement in this crash is unknown, and no other vehicles were involved. And this came out several hours after Ashley Pugh, the wife of Jay, had put out a statement on Facebook that... Their one daughter, Gracie, was heading into surgery on her back, and she went on to ask for everyone's prayer prayers and that they are hoping that her legs will be able to move again. Um, the other daughter, Jaylee, who was in, in the vehicle as well, has some pretty serious injuries but is stable and resting and mentioning their third child, Gannon, who was at home. Uh, at the time of the accident. This is a horrific, horrific story just to go through all the details, but did we want to bring everyone up to speed if they were not aware of those. So, I mean, to me, that has been um, just 24 seven, everyone's uh, concern uh, with, within wrestling and, and praying that um, his daughter uh, ends up okay coming out of that, but both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so many emotions um, in this one. Unfortunately, again, every time something like this happens, I, I feel like I, I have to say, like, unfortunately, in pro wrestling, we're not, you know, um, like we're, we're not sort of, um, I guess, uh, I, I don't know. Um, we, we deal with like early deaths a whole lot, um, but but it never like stops being incredibly difficult, especially in this case. And, you know, this dude is is like a month older than us, John. Like, you know, he's he's our age. And as far as like my um fandom goes i i mean i've i've known and watched this guy grow up you know from being a teenager on roh shows all the way until you know now being a a a father of of three um it's it's just incredibly sad obviously there's a lot you can probably say about the man's career but obviously my thoughts and i i'm sure most people's are are with his his family right now um terrible terrible tragedy yeah, um, we wanted to bring in for a couple of minutes uh, Jordan Goodman uh, from the site who previously worked at Ring of Honor uh, to share a couple of thoughts about getting to work individually with Jay and a welcome to the show, Jordan. And also, we wanted to get just some of your uh, thoughts about this you know, horrible tragedy. Thank you, guys. Um, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do uh, in wrestling. Um, I'm. I'm feeling a lot right now and it's been a hard 24 hours. Um, you know, Jay wasn't a, a great friend of mine, but uh, he treated me as such when I did interact with him. Um, like I, and if I can express anything like Jamin was such a decent, decent guy. Um, 
I, you know, I first developed relationship with him um, as a fan, uh, like most of us. And I was lucky Ring of Honor uh, relocated to Baltimore. And in 2012, they started doing like most, if not all of their TV tapings initially monthly in Baltimore. And I would go to those shows every month. And, um, you know, like you go to a class or a religious service. I mean, you start seeing the same few hundred people and you develop community. And what was so remarkable about uh, Jay and, and what he attracted was that like his literal family would be at these shows. And as, as we go on from year after year, you see his parents, you see his, um, you know, their wives, Jay and Mark's wives. Um, but then like kids and then another kid and then another kid. And the vibe of these shows were so cool. They were relaxed. The seating was just, it was what it was. And it was kind of like a family barbecue vibe of like the Pew family just hanging out and interacting with any fans that wanted to interact with them. And, um, so for me, like my relationship to Jay began like as such, it was like him and his family and I felt included in it. Um, in 2017, I was afforded the opportunity to work full time with Ring of Honor and just, just becoming a fan of Jay and Mark, knowing that, you know, they were the heart and soul, um, and still are of Ring of Honor. Uh, for me working there, it was important for me, uh, to develop trust and respect uh, with the office, with production, and of course, with talent. And going into the job, I knew if I can earn the trust and respect of J. Mark Briscoe, I'm good. Like, to be honest, I really didn't care what anyone else thought of me. If they were good with me, then I was good. And I was really lucky. Um, third day on the job on a Wednesday, uh, J. Mark drove down as they often did to Baltimore. And they were a part of a presentation to about 30 salespeople in training. And uh, essentially the, the job that day was for us to introduce ring of honor to the salespeople. So they could then go out to their local markets throughout the country and know how to sell ring of honor. Um, uh, we, we were there to educate them. And when it was my turn to say my piece, it was so easy because I literally had Jay and Mark standing in front of me. Uh, I'd never met them uh, personally at that point, but all I did was I just told the truth. I looked at them and I told these 30 salespeople, um, you know, you may have your own uh, preconceived notion of what pro wrestling is, um, but these gentlemen standing in front of you, like they are highly trained world-class athletes and they are among some of the finest performing artists that I've ever witnessed live. And my intention was literally to tell the truth about Jay and Mark Briscoe in order to help elevate the genre of pro wrestling. They made it easy. Um, and then after doing that, I got to hang out privately with them. We did a Twitter Q&A and they just took me in as if I was their younger brother. Um, they, they took me in as if we had been friends forever. We were talking about wrestling. We were watching wrestling on YouTube. And after that day, I felt like I earned the respect and the trust of, uh, of Jay and Mark. And like, it, it set me up for so much success going to work the live shows with all the talent, because I knew like, if they had my back, I was good. And um, they, they didn't need to do that. And I really appreciated that. Um, you know, Jordan, have you had a chance to speak to any former colleagues of Jay Briscoe and, you know, what are maybe some stories or, or some sentiment that uh, people are sharing with you? Uh, I have. Uh, I've 
heard people cry that I've never heard cry before. Like it's, it's fucking sad. And, um, and these are people that travel literally traveled the world with Jay, um, and really got to know him in ways in which, you know, I, I never got to, um, what, what made me happy today was just seeing all the different stories. Um, but, but even through text, because I mean, Jay was just so unique. So I'm seeing, uh, people I worked with or different talent just quote things that Jay had said. Maybe the last thing that he said to them, the most memorable thing that Jay had said. And as I'm reading text, I'm literally seeing Jamin's face and I'm seeing his expression and I'm hearing his voice. And he was just such a unique presence. Um, and when I hear his voice and I see his face, like I smile because he was so, he, he cared and, and he laughed and he, he made everyone around him better. Um, whether that was top tier talent, lower tier talent, uh, are, are our production people, local hired production people. Uh, he was, he just cared about people. It, it wasn't uh, about ego or status um, or, or, or politics. Um, if, if you were a person in his presence, um, he treated you with dignity and respect. And um, I hope that's how um, many of us remember him. I think way hit the nail on the head is that so many that came up in ring of honor, like they felt like they grew up with him. Like here is this 18 year old on the very first show. And was this constant was the constant from show number one to the very final, um, you know, ROH under the Sinclair banner, but then even extending this year under the Tony Khan version. I mean, there is just never been a ring of honor without the Briscoes attached to them. So they just became to many the, the image you associate and they were so i mean this in the most positive way they were so pro wrestling like they were mm. these they were the genuine article even though you would watch them and be like they can't really be this way off camera but this this was them this was um cm punk made the analogy of them being like the diaz brothers of professional wrestling and it's a it's a pretty spot-on comparison and you know you can go through the matches but the promos that everyone is going through over these last 24 hours like like these guys should have been on national tv every week cutting promos like they were just so unique and i think harken back to uh an era of professional wrestling that we see less and less of today the, the jay briscoe is the most believable wrestler I've ever seen. Uh, I can't think of any other pro wrestler that is more believable than Jay. And I'm someone that grew up uh, with ECW not being far from me. Um, like he, in, in the 2010s, me experiencing the Briscoes, like they felt like actual pro wrestlers to your point. Um, they, and, and, and clearly, you know, uh, uh, we were, we grew up with, with similar taste and experiences in pro wrestling. Um, but yet they, uh, innovated and, and created contemporary style of pro wrestling. So I think, uh, the Briscoes are the ultimate bridge between what the three of us grew up on and what we enjoy today. Um, the promos, of course, but I mean, just Jay's physicality, his presence, his eye contact, um, everything he did, whether it was in character in the uh, the context of a pro wrestling performance or uh, when I'd ask him, hey, man, I got some kids. Would you mind doing a quick meet and greet? Uh, he was genuine. 
and I believed him every single time. And I, I think that's one of many reasons why um, we won't forget him. One of the, you know, we can't really speak about Jay Briscoe's life without speaking about the controversy that has been attached to his career for the better part, you know, the latter part of his career. And that's, of course, the homophobic tweets that he once sent out. Um, it's really interesting to study this particular case because I would certainly say throughout the years and especially over the past year, I think as a professional wrestling community, a lot of us have grown to accept the apology. And that seems like something that is incredibly rare. But, you know, I say a lot of us because a lot of us don't. And that might even extend to, you know, high ranking executives at Warner Brothers, for instance. Um, I always defer to people who have dealt with him. And certainly like in speaking to people like an Ian Riccoboni, who went out and vouched for, for Jay Briscoe, you know, when, when he didn't have to, when many people didn't have to, um, that to me went, went a long way. What, you know, you, you've spoken obviously very glowingly of the man, but like in regards to the controversy, did you have any sort of conversations or particular dealings with him or anything that indicated to you that the man had grown from the experience? I never spoke with him directly about it. Um, Jay fucked up and he admitted as much. Um, I'm sure he felt awful about it and he took responsibility for it publicly. Um, and from what I've been told privately many times, um, every interaction I've ever had with him in person, um, showed professionalism, class, respect, kindness, uh, joyfulness. Um, and, uh, yeah, he fucked up. He's human. I fucked up too many times. Um, and if I were to fuck up, I would hope that if I owned it fully, um, if I kept showing up and doing good work, um, both just professionally and interpersonally between people, um, I would, I would think after a decade, maybe I'd be, um, afforded a second chance. Um, and I, I think if we continue creating a culture where we just outright cancel people without a, a, a path toward forgiveness, uh, what incentive is there for people to change for the better? Um, now, look, I say this as someone that is not gay. So I, I, I think my opinion uh, only counts so much because I wasn't the one personally offended Um by the tweet in, in a way in which I identified with, um, with the insult. Um, but I, I think it's, it, we, we take this on an individual basis. Um, and from everything I had ever known and seen from the man, um, I think he deserved a second chance. I, I certainly, again, you know, I look to people like Effie who, who have spoken in support of the Briscoes, calling them change men, you know, earlier last year, you know, um, and I completely am in agreement, you know, in that, like, how, how much space are we allowing for apologies? How much space are we allowing for people to, um, how much space are we giving to people that are, uh, you know, uh, trying to tell us that these people might have changed. Um, And I don't know the answer to that, you know, and what, Um, and what are, 
what is the greater whole asking of people by going through said punishment? Are we looking at strict just punishment for the sake of it? Or are we looking at individuals to reform, educate, and hopefully move beyond that, which from all accounts is something that Jay Briscoe successfully did. And people that vouch for him, like an Ian Riccoboni, who is not just going to pay lip service uh, because he works with the guy. He is going to go out there and endorse that. Yes. Be like this guy absolutely screwed up and I'm not going to downplay it. Like it was more than just a homophobic tweet. It was like making allusions to violence. I mean, whether you took that seriously or not, it was a horrible, horrible thing. And there was punishment due. And he greatly um, was punished for that tweet over these past 10 years. But if we are in a society where somebody is understanding how they messed up and they are reaching out to others and they're putting the work in and you are seeing actions that reflect a reformed individual and we're still saying no too bad, then the mirror has to be placed on those as well of where the problem, there is a problem on the other side then as well. And again, if there are people that cannot get past that, that's understandable, but this is an individual he had, great um it had a great great impact on his career and his brother's career who had nothing to do with this tweet but stood by his brother and they had many opportunities uh, this past year being a perfect example and uh while i can't say definitively i am sure that tweet had a big impact on how tonight's broadcast went in terms of recognizing jay briscoe which i find to be if that is the case and i'll put the if out there um I, I find that to be just horrible um, that on on a day like this, that that tweet still played any influence on a broadcast network that, as we speak, is premiering Dana White's slap fight league. Exactly. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm seeing a little bit of pushback, you know, from from the chat room for, for bringing even the topic up. And I, I, we, I we have I, to I, talk. I feel it's it. important because we have to talk. It's about the it. man's it's, life and it is directly affected, I would say, what what might have arguably been the best year of his career. Think about what, what he and his brother achieved over the past year without national television, you know, being ranked um, or like, you know, match of the year accolades and getting the amount of buzz, every opportunity they had at bat with a big audience, they knocked it out of the park three separate times. Think about what that run would have been like on national TV. If they had, you know, that, that platform. And, and it's because of that one incident that has, kind of denied them uh, this entire time and and again I, like i look at this whole thing as just a you know a reflection on me and, and asking myself like what how much how much space am i allowing people you know who have who might have who who might have left a sour taste in my, my mouth how how much space am i le- letting them to you know ach- achieve any sort of uh i don't know uh penance we have to look at the hard shit in life I mean, like, that's the only way to, to, to grow or to move through it. Like, if we can't look at the stuff that makes us uncomfortable within us and amongst other people, and if we can't, um, communicate about it, um, with respect and civility, uh, how do we evolve? How do we move through this stuff? Um, uh, I respect the fact that you guys aren't dancing around it, like, uh, because it's uncomfortable and, and, and it takes, um, uh, a particular skill set in order to do this with respect. Um, uh, I, I wasn't expecting to have this conversation tonight, um, but I'm always willing to um, be given the opportunity to uh, defend Jamin Pugh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's to me like it will be 
you know, a, a huge part about his career over these last 10 years. But I think also important is those around him that saw meaningful change. And I would, I would recommend people listen to that interview we did with Ian Riccoboni last March, um, because he gave a very eloquent breakdown of his personal interactions with, with Jamin Pugh and what he saw out of him that gave him the confidence to go in a public setting and also tweeting about it over the last 24 hours about the person that he had become and that this tweet, I do not believe should define his, his life, but it is a part of it and we do need to talk about it. And, and if you look at the outpour from basically every single person who has ever worked or has maybe even, you know, watched the work of, of the man throughout the years, I, I would, I contend to, to think that a lot of people probably accepted the apology a long time ago, but maybe didn't feel comfortable letting everybody else know until afterwards. And that, that part is, is sort of a shame, but you know, at least in death, the world knows how much they appreciated this man's work. Any final words you would like to uh, share, Jordan? We want to thank you uh, very much for uh, coming on uh, with, with us tonight to give your, uh, your accounts of uh, Jay Briscoe. And um, it's, it's weird because Today, it was very hard for me to even start to like look back at the career. And there's probably a time and a place to look at the, you know, the great catalog of matches and promos and stuff. It's like my head is just not there yet when it comes to his career because, you know, there's, uh, this family that is, is still in the midst of this. It's not as if they even have a chance to grieve yet. They're still in the battle, um, with their two daughters. I, I just want to send good energy to, to Jay's family, of course, to his daughters, um, to Mark, who I know well, um, as well, of course. Um, I mean, it's his fucking birthday, man. Like, it just, this sucks. Um, it's a tragedy. Um, the Briscoes are my favorite tag team of all time. You know, I don't, I'm not involved with you guys, and I didn't get involved with Ring of Honor because I needed a job. I, I do it, and I did it because I love pro wrestling. Um, and I love Mark and Jay Briscoe. Um, so to, to his colleagues, his friends, his fans, and of, of course his family, um, you know, uh, I love you all. My heart's with you. Jordan, thanks very much for uh, joining us tonight. We, re- we really appreciate it. And um, Jordan and Wei will be back on Thursday uh, with the wellness policy. So we look forward to hearing both of you together along with our man, Neil, coming up. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate it. Way, what have you uh, sort of seen over the last uh, 24 hours? Because uh, to give everyone a, a peek behind the curtain, we were recording a show on Tuesday night, and that's when the news was breaking. So it was within minutes of us uh, ending that I got a message from you. And your message was like it didn't flat out state what it was, but I knew and was just frantically yeah. looking because I was hoping it was just something else. I don't text you like, I guess without, you know, work related things too, too often, unfortunately. So, I mean, it was, it, it's the worst kind of text that, um, I, I want to, to give a friend. Um, but as far as like what, what's been out there, who has not, you know, sent something about the man? This is just a, a thread compiling everything from Reddit. Every, every, it feels like every single active wrestler has tweeted positive thoughts, whether or not they might have worked with them. Um, Certainly, we mentioned these men have been a part of Ring of Honor for 20 years. And if you know anything about the current wrestling landscape, everybody <laughs> has been through Ring of Honor at some point in their careers. Top to, from, the, from the biggest WrestleMania main eventers to, you know, people that are no longer in the industry. Um, everybody 
has incredibly nice things to say about the man. Um, I would say the main thing being that um, the man loved his family uh, above all else. Um, and, and it was an incredible family man. Um, so it's an endless list. So I, I encourage people to go and check that out. It, it just t- kind of tells you everything you need to know about how well respected he was as a performer and, and as a family man. Yeah. I mean, you see it among, you know, there was, it's almost a generation ago where these were happening and and not to say in this kind of an instance, but you know, of wrestlers dying young. And that was, you know, in an era too, where you weren't seeing as much, uh, social media as now and for a lot of these performers like sometimes there's someone that passes away that you grew up watching or maybe you worked with them like this was a, a case where you are seeing all these performers weighing in that not just worked with this guy but knew him on on a very significant level and have and, and some knowing him for decades so i cannot imagine just how many people are hurting from this news that has been very evident over the last 24 hours when the news first broke, it was uh, Tony Khan uh, putting out a a statement confirming his passing. And this is as the NXT broadcast is live. And they ended up doing an on-camera acknowledgement of Jay's passing with Vic Joseph and Booker T. And then uh, they had been planning to do a funeral segment that New Day was going to host uh, regarding Pretty, uh, Pretty Deadly's title shot and ended up changing the segment and instead doing the segment that you saw last night, which was just a a promo segment with the interruptions. Um, I give a lot of credit that they acted as quickly as they did, not just the acknowledgement, but, you know, even if they had had a heads up prior to Tony Khan's tweet, you're talking about in the middle of, or just before a live broadcast. And thank, thankfully uh, making that call as well to uh, scrap a segment uh, like that, that would have a, a funeral tone to it as well. So I, I thought they, they handled it very well on probably minimal notice. Completely agreed. Yeah. Um, not, not only scrapping that, um, what would have been a very unfortunate segment to air, um, given the news, but also making time in the broadcast to actually make mention of it. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, it explains why the new day were perhaps dressed, you know, in, in that type of outfit that they were, um, and I can't imagine it was easy, you know, carrying on with the show for a lot of people in the back that uh, either worked with the Briscoes or were fans of Jay Briscoes. Tonight, um, Tony Khan and everyone was tuning in, I'm sure, to see what um, AEW was going to be doing on tonight's show. And they did open the show and brought up Jay Briscoe's passing. There was a graphic to begin the broadcast and multiple performers wearing armbands and Excalibur uh, several times brought up Jay Briscoe, including uh, the the clothes at the end of the show, just saying that he's in all of our hearts. But it was Tony Khan. He tweeted during the show that after Dynamite, they're going to film a special ROH tribute to the late, great Jay Briscoe, which will be available soon free to everyone on Honor Club. And it won't be behind a paywall. We'll post a tribute show in, in in its entirety on the ROH YouTube as well, free for everyone, as tonight this crew will come together to shoot a special ROH event in honor of the late, great Jay Briscoe. So again, um, we're coming on uh, just minutes after the show, but this really does scream that there were preventive measures from them doing a tribute on the actual broadcast itself beyond what we did see. That's what... It seemed to say to me, um, 
I I think we had all known the reports of the reasons why they were signed to ROH, and you know, despite getting rave ratings for their matches with with uh, the Brisk uh, FTR, um, no presence whatsoever on TV, not even a promo to my knowledge, and um, you know, it seems like these reports has have a lot of truth to it. I maybe stupidly felt that in the wake of the man's death that wouldn't have applied in this case i did not i was um, expecting full 10 bell salute at with everyone out and i'm sure that is and believe me i do not believe this was in any way um it was just aew i would assume their their hands being tied here because i am sure that that is the kind of treatment that they would have wanted to have on tonight's show yeah yeah um and and for that i'm i'm very disappointed um you know i i have to imagine tony wanted to do something um maybe i'm sure the locker room are, are right now at this moment that we're recording this you know a crying tears um at, at what i'm assuming will be a wonderful tribute show but um you know one of the things i had said during our conversation with jordan was like it, it was a real shame that these guys never had that national platform on a number one or a number two station uh, a wrestling promotion and um i just figured even like today you know given the circumstances that 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 would have been forgiven but evidently not yeah i mean that's that is what it appears to be and i i just think it's um i i think it's the i think it's terrible that you could not put aside that issue um you know the broadcaster it's like this broadcaster in particular that had no stance whatsoever on a domestic violence incident that was caught on video that we pushed off a show for a week um that is okay and i'm sure if we were to do inventory of some of the figures that appear on these stations on a weekly basis um how their background checks would hold up as well and again i go back to jay briscoe that this is not something that he just issued uh, a month ago or anything like that it's this was somebody that from all accounts, uh, he had apologized over it. He had educated himself about these issues. And this is someone that we should not be shunning people that are looking to better themselves, to educate themselves. And if we are just putting up a concrete wall at people who in good faith are trying to learn and learn from mistakes, the idea that we have to be flawless from start to finish in life is an unachievable uh, it's an unachievable set of goals to put in front of people. And we should be applauding people that are trying in good faith to improve themselves. So I, I only bite my tongue here because it is, um, you, you just can't imagine that they could not put this aside, but I watched this broadcast. And I mean, what other conclusion can you come to other than that? And that AEW is going to the, going to this effort to make sure that they have a tribute show by taping a whole mm. separate special to put on YouTube. It basically all but tells you, hey, we can't do this on TV, but we're going to do it immediately afterwards. And, um, it, I think it's, 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 it puts a terrible, you know, light on the broadcaster. Like you said, John, you know, like in our line of work, it, 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 we, we call out a lot of these things that I think are, 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 are terrible that people may have done. Um, and again, I reflect, I reflected upon back myself to, to ask, are we giving it enough space for the apologies? Even when it comes to a Dana White, you know, certainly I think you and I could like, he's apologized a whole lot, but I think the level of apology, it, it's a different story, but like, it, it does not feel as authentic as I Listen, think, you and know, I, and I, I have stated that I believe Dana White is one of the few. He has not run from the story like others have. And, I 
I was also not one. I'm not calling for this guy's job. Um, I think that there is punishment that is necessary that he is uh, evading. Um, but That's the, idea- the thing is the punishment, you know, like, and again, we, 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 we're speaking about a different issue now, but just since we're on the topic, you ask the question of if this, somebody else were to go through what he, what, what Dana White had experienced, what would the appropriate fair level of punishment be? And nobody can tell, tell me that he's receiving that. You know, so it, it's more so if, if that was a let, let's just throw out it's I'm not even going to add a name to it, but some name pro wrestler um, is AEW in a position where like if this uh, if a video ends up on TMZ of some ex WWE wrestler that AEW two months later wants to bring in, um, I, I think they would probably see some resistance to that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, this this certainly disappointed me. You know, I thought at, at some point they were going to delay something, you know, for bigger for the end of the show. And then the end of the show came and then I, we saw the tweet, of course, from Tony and realized that this was exactly what maybe you had expected. But I, I didn't. And that's, you know, um, whoever it is at Warner really not wanting this to happen on their TV. Yeah, um, the same as you. Very disappointed in it. Um we will talk about a few other uh, news stories before we get to Dynamite itself. Uh, Nick Khan was on the Bill Simmons podcast. Did you have any chance to listen to this way? Yes, I did, John. Yeah. So this was an hour-long interview with uh, Nick Khan um, on the Bill Simmons podcast. And it was essentially Nick Khan going out there to, I think, try and um, put, a, put a happy face on all the chaos, um, which included the comment, from the inside, it's not insane to me this situation in WWE. Um, we can go over some of the individual points brought up. I will say, and I'm going to preface the, this interview by number one, stating that I thought Nick Khan, I mean, he is in a situation where I feel he very much wants to, uh, he wants to calm down the temperature on Vince McMahon and make it seem as though this is not this. Um, I, I don't think he wants to, by any means, fan the flames that are going to bring more controversy onto Vince. In doing that, I've, I felt it very hard at times to hear how dismissive he was of some of these charges against Vince McMahon. Um, the Rita Chatterton line about, you know, essentially equating to this as though it's just, it's a stumbling block in our way, but that comes with the territory of running a business this size. I thought it just came off very callous at times, whether intentional or, or not. And the fact that we are, again, it becomes very interesting to see some of the language that gets used, such as, you know, Vince McMahon did, did some things he's not proud of, or like we minimize it instead of like, he is, he is accused of rape. He is accused of coercing a woman into oral sex. It's like, sometimes we have to actually, state what is being accused rather than this kind of gift wrapped it in these like more easily digestible dis- uh, terms like mistakes or uh you know allegations i mean this is some pretty horrible stuff that he is accused of that he is coming back to into this company and for that reason i did find it interesting that nick khan was going here um i found it interesting that that bill simmons went there you know, because we have to mention Bill Simmons working on the Vince McMahon documentary. Yes, Netflix. which was interesting. He noted when they were discussing the comparisons between the Andre the Giant documentary that they called a very collaborative process between WWE and Bill Simmons, noting that this this Vince series, not as collaborative, whatever you want to read into that. Um, for Bill Simmons' part, like obviously he has a, a very lengthy relationship with Nick Khan. 
I thought that Bill Simmons. What, what, what's the obvious there? Did he? I mean, he, he, he uh, to my knowledge, he represented Bill Simmons. Okay. Uh, as a client, um, mm. and I mean, j- just hearing them on this interview, like they're they 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 hang out together at games, like they are they seem very close. Uh, I don't it think seems that's a pretty friends with like pretty much everybody he talks to. <laughs> well, like- I will say, like Bill Simmons, I'm not going to say he was grilling Nick Khan, but I mean, he was constantly going to. I think he was very much interested in like a lot of the palace intrigue and Stephanie leaving, but was also bringing up these allegations. And Vince, you know, has Vince properly addressed these in the public and. You know, there was points in this interview where it's the most I've heard Nick Khan really trying to like bend around to try and like Nick is a very smooth operator. And I did mm-hmm. feel there were points in here where uh, he did not come off great. And Nick Khan typically comes off great. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, at the same time, God, I don't know how anybody on the side of the WWE could come across anything but not great, you know, at best. Um, when you're talking about topics like that, just to simply be attached in a working relationship with Vince McMahon, how do you defend that? You know, how, you how, can't. how there's no yeah. defending it. There's no defending all these allegations against Vince McMahon about the culture that he fostered in this company about, you know, questions of, you know, why, you know, with an individual like this, what is the hiring process? Why, what was, what was your, uh, rationale for bringing in a Jamie Horowitz when he has, you know, the baggage attached to him of why he left Fox. Um, there is many, many questions of what you can go into, but Nick Khan is in a position where he needs to make this seem as though, you know, this, he's talking about the fact that anyone who believed this retirement was going to stick, they don't know Vince McMahon. It's like, that's a pretty, to me, that's a pretty damning statement that I expect will probably end up in one of these shareholder lawsuits. You're, you're telling us that a publicly traded company, um, pretty much had a sham retirement, um, that we knew from the get go was a sham retirement. I, I would, I would contend that maybe his, his, the, his, the way he meant it was that, oh, uh, you know, Vince isn't going to, you know, he works way too hard to, to want to just kind of sit, uh, you know, on a farm and, and just rest. You, you knew he was going to unretire and get back in the game. Well, that was, um, that was not stated. To. And that I'm sure was not part of their filing when he uh, stepped down that, uh, he will be back. Well, I mean, a line he did say was like um, him talking about how much he respected Vince's move, essentially, of like, you know, getting a- away from like, he, please, you probably have the, the more direct quote than, than I do. But it was something. To I mean, the- he essentially. Yeah, he was like he stepped away for for a couple months so that the heat could die down. And he's yeah. he's happy that he said, he like, the people back. like that or something to that effect. Like the people like that, like it when you, uh, <laughs> you know, duck, uh, duck away from allegations for five to six months. Like, but anyway, he was speaking as if it was like a chess move that was well played by Vince. And, you know, I, I don't know if you like maybe that's just a bit of self-awareness, you know, about the succession aspect of it all. Um, which I mean, you know. I mean, you, you throw away the the like moral questions in, in in just a strict power play maneuver. I mean, Vince McMahon has orchestrated um an unbelievable plan of how he has gotten back here. I mean, this is like this maneuvering is pretty hard to fathom that he has successfully pulled off. Yeah, absolutely. And but you know, I I guess I I wouldn't necessarily just expect Nick Khan to you know outright say that was a good play, Vince. You know, but he, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I get the sense that it's it's more of like him kind of like earning the trust of the audience, perhaps, and maybe earning the trust of the interviewer to be able to say that he could speak on that level. Um, and 
ultimately, you know, like his, what is his role here? He, he's there to ma- manage the, 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 the numbers of, of this company and to make sure that they're profitable. And, and is pro- probably the closest uh, conduit to Vince McMahon on that board of directors. I would say more than anyone else, save for like Barrios and Wilson. But I mean, in terms of running the company, like Nick Khan is the one he was meeting with Vince once a month while he was gone. And he said the first month, you know, Vince was doing great. By month five, which would have been December, uh, he he was ready to come back. And he, December 20th, he said that he was like there to essentially check up, and, and like he would say that they would be talking about non-business related things. And he also mentioned other people on the board would would do that as well. What are these two talking about non-business related? Yeah, I'm sure sports. Did you, did you? How do you think the Bills are going to do this season, Vince? <laughs> I, I I wonder if Vince, you know, spent you that want, much time. Do you want to go see Avatar football. next month when we met, we meet up? Do you want <laughs> to do a book Avatar. club? Yeah, what are, yeah. what are Vince and Nick Khan sitting down and meeting and discussing uh, that is non-business related? I would love to know. Um, you know, but he did state that when Vince left, he was not swooping in, and it was a uh, a real break. Um, you know, even though Hunter has acknowledged in these talent meetings that he is, you know, he has talked to Vince, but he's got the final say. Um, it was interesting. Bill Simmons brought up that he had heard Stephanie had been kind of going on like this quiet tour meeting with a lot of influential figures to pretty much give a, put a new face on the company. And when Bill Simmons heard about this through the grapevine that he believed, okay, Vince is definitely not coming back. If Stephanie is doing this, this quiet little PR tour and Nick, you could hear him. He was very, um, he seemed very surprised at Bill Simmons. Like, Oh, you had heard about that. That was a very interesting. Is that uh, that surprising? I mean, you know, Bill Simmons, you would assume, like, especially working on a documentary like this would be a bit more well connected than I I am sure Bill Simmons is very plugged in on WWE business uh, at the moment and being involved in this project and having probably a lot of direct involvement with Vince McMahon, depending on how this Netflix series is going, which, you know, seems like it is moving forward, but, um, like my, you know, when he had Ariel on uh, Helwani on last week, uh, the term he he used was that this series is evolving, and then today in this he was you know saying it's it's not as collaborative. Like I am certain that there's probably a documentary in there about the making of this documentary series. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's even still talking about it as if it's, it's still in production tells you that the you know we we might be able to expect actual focus on the past year of Vince McMahon's life. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. He did not go into any family dynamics among the McMahons. He says uh, that is my number one rule around family-run businesses is you don't get involved with the family stuff. Um and so he has purposely avoided it. He knows that uh, it was gave a glowing representation of Stephanie's work as an executive and that she's done for now. Nothing is permanent, has no particulars about what went down with Shane McMahon and Vince last year. Um, called the, the reports last week of a pending sale to the Saudi Arabia uh, public investment fund, a hundred percent fake. Um, but that, you know, the process is, is going through and outlined like there are a bunch of, ideas that they could have they could merge with a company they could sell to a company um we could buy someone it's all about what is the best value for the shareholder followed by what is the best for vince mcmahon but the shareholder is first and foremost when he was asked about vince um has he 
has he addressed these allegations to the public in a sufficient form? And Nick Khan just used that as a chance to say that Vince does not enjoy doing press mentioning Bob Costas and Armin Catan from 20 years ago. And mm. thus he did not speak publicly about these allegations. Um, this was like mm. one step removed from, well, Vince has to, Vince has to live with the knowledge that these allegations are out there. <laughs> that's, that's enough. He might hate doing interviews, but he sure loves appearing on his own uh, product. And um, I mean, I don't, you know, is, is that not a platform, you know, to, to get into something like that? Yeah. Maybe Byron Saxton can interview him about the, uh, <laughs> yeah. about- <laughs> joining me at this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's certainly um, anytime you get to hear Nick Khan, we learn maybe a little bit more about how, how he reacts under these sort of situations. And from all accounts, the man seems incredibly confident at being able to handle any sort of like hot topic issue. And I, I would, I would say, you know, maybe most listening to this felt like he probably did a very good job at fielding, you know, enough, maybe hard hitting questions while at the same time deflecting enough. But there's certainly those deflections that, that like, I think we're starting to notice a little bit more. They were pretty glaring to me in this one. Like this to me was not a, um, you know, it Nikon is still even in a setting like this, like he is a very smooth talker and he's mm-hmm. very, very knowledgeable. You can never uh, take that against and he's him. everybody's friend, it seems. Yeah. But 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 I thought he, he did not come out glowing from this just because of how dismissive he was. At the same time, I could see other people that maybe are not as concerned about that aspect that listen to this. And it's a lot of insight into the company and the dynamics. And it's an hour of Nick Khan that's going to be engaging. And I guess the, the final portion was bringing up AEW and Bill Simmons classifying them as, you know, the first real competitor that they have had in a long, long time. And maybe the, the line that, I mean, Nick Khan could not have sounded like more dismissive of Tony Khan than when he's asked about him. And his quote was, I've never met the kid, Tony Khan. Seems like a nice kid. I don't know him. And then goes on to say, I met his dad, uh, that him and Stephanie were at a luncheon a year and a half ago and happened to be seated next to Shahid Khan and was very, very impressed with Shahid Khan, but not the kid. Seems the like kid, a nice, seems like a nice kid. TK should be standing for the kid from now on. Um, you want to play the, the age game, John? How yes. old is Nick Khan? I'm going to say Nick Khan is the fact you're bringing this up means like they have to be much more closer in age than I'm imagining. I'm going to say Nick Khan is 52. Okay. How old is Tony Khan? Tony Khan, I believe is 40. Tony Khan is 40. Nick Khan, big man, big adult that that he is, is 46. Wow. (laughs) There is a six year age gap between the two. (laughs) And to call him that kid is God just. It was such a backhanded. like insult i that promise kid. you that line will someday come back in a tony khan rebuttal i promise you like there will be there will be a time that if dynamite tops ratings uh you will see a not not too bad kid i i like that nickname for tk that kid tony I like tony it. the kid i yeah. mean it was just such a uh <laughs> i just uh, an amazing line that he threw in there. Um, yeah. And then he, he just got into more like sports rights discussions, um, bringing up the fact there's only 10 to 11% overlap between the WWE and UFC audience. Um, is there a need for Ronda Rousey then? Well, I guess you could argue that she's, she's there to attract. A she's, different the exception. Audience. she's the exception. Well, she's there to attract. A but different audience. His argument was like that 
you know, a potential landing spot. They could land on ESPN and they would be very valuable to ESPN plus because they would be bringing a different audience than, than they are currently getting from the UFC. It's not as though we have these subscribers that we wouldn't be growing our subscribers because it's a lot of overlap. There isn't. And therefore we'd be valuable. We'd be valuable to all of these different streaming properties. And mm-hmm. it was interesting. Like when they buy were our going, stock, everybody is essentially, it's, it's a, it's a bargain at 90. Yeah. Um, but they were bringing up like potential play places to go. And whenever Nick Khan doesn't want to directly say something, his response was, well, what do you think, Bill? <laughs> and Bill would just state it and you just get Nick like, yeah, uh, that's Or he'd bring up an example from Bill's life story, you know, like, oh, when you sold Grantland, uh, such and such, you know, you, you're very successful. You have a, like that type I, of thing. I have listened to interviews with Nick Khan with uh, people where he has brought up something from their past that yeah. it was like this guy is not just going he, this guy is never going into an interview cold. if you ever he interviewed is, him john like i don't know maybe he'd bring up like politics or something you know i would not be surprised at all okay that or he, aqua your love of aqua maybe well i i don't know about that one but um i would have had several follow-ups in this interview but um no, I, I thought, honestly, like Bill Simmons did bring up a lot of topics. I, I don't want to classify this as though he was just there um, not asking like good, good questions. It tells like, me I that think- he, he, he himself understands he has credibility that he needs to protect. And that gives me a bit of hope for this documentary. Yeah. So there you have it. That was uh, the interview with uh, Nick Khan. Um, I know we're going late, so we're, we're not going to go too deep into this. Um, the Francis Ngannou story, uh, if you had been following it and your only frame of reference was Dana White's press conference, I would definitely encourage people to check out the uh, the hour and 20 minute long interview that Ariel Hawani did with Ngannou on Tuesday. Um, their live interview, they topped like 34,000 viewers live. I think uh, Ariel had said it was the most the most viewers they've ever had for an edition of his show, which he has been doing for uh, 14 years. So that mm. that's really telling about the interest in this, but uh, and Ganu pretty much was stating the fact that, you know, money was not an issue here as Dana had positioned it, that this is a guy that just wants to fight lesser competition for more money. You know, Francis Ngannou was looking at probably getting in the neighborhood of $8 million to fight John Jones. So that was not an issue over money, but what Ngannou wanted was a strict, three fight deal, no extensions at the end. I'd get two fights with John Jones and maybe the third with uh, like Stipe Miocic in there. So he was looking at big fights at heavyweight, but the big things he wanted was he did not want to be constricted by the UFC contracts. And he, you can argue he made some incredible asks, including health insurance for all fighters and having an advocate, a fighter advocate that would be present, um, for like UFC business and and such to represent the fighters. Hmm. Um, you know, you wow. could go from one side and state that he was, you know, certainly like here is someone that's putting his money where his mouth is and trying to actually make change in the industry. You can also look at it that these demands, there was no possible way you could have expected going in that you were asking things that there was just no possibility of that occurring um, for yourself, much less for the entire roster that they, you were going to be carving out these allowances. But, I have always stated that we hear tons of complaints from fighters, but usually when the rubber hits the road, it is inaction that happens. When Leslie Smith tried to start uh, Project Spearhead, just the act of getting enough fighters to anonymously sign up for this so that they could explore the idea of an association, they couldn't even get that 
even anonymously, fighters didn't want to sign up for this. Like that is how concerned they are about maybe their name getting out there. Their career will be ruined. Here is a guy that is walking away from high seven figures for a fight. Uh, the life of this deal would have been into the well into the eight figures. And he is opting to go elsewhere where, yeah, he probably is going to have some interest uh, boxing. Um, but it's still a gamble. Like it is not a, a guarantee that this guy is going to find success uh, outside of the UFC, but that freedom meant something to him. And it is small changes that have occurred. But at the same time, these small changes for fighters where you are seeing the the addition of sunset clauses and a guy like Francis Ngannou and Nate Diaz actually becoming free agents, it does not even compare to the mammoth growth the UFC has had where they can allow a Francis Ngannou to walk. Um, and they are the train will keep on leaving the station for the UFC. So whether and, we are and pro wrestling is unfortunately pro wrestling is in the exact same boat and we do not have a Francis Ngannou or an Nate Diaz in professional wrestling that is willing to fight this either for many it is they are happy enough with what they are making and the idea of having you know uh, health insurance or uh, a cut of these mammoth television deals or sales like it is it is almost just without it's outside of the stratosphere of meaningful change being able to occur. Uh, but I'm always going to applaud uh, someone like a Francis Ngannou who is actually trying to do something for fighters. And we will see what his future is. I think a lot of people are looking at the boxing route, but um, is, is a major heavyweight boxer going to be interested in fighting a Francis Ngannou where this, this guy is, would be a grand underdog in any of these scenarios, but is, is that risk worth it if you're a Anthony Joshua or a Tyson Fury? But it's someone that I think there is a lot of interest in. And this was quite an enlightening interview. In fact, um, mainly the, uh, the, in the, during the, the negotiations, uh, when he brought up the idea of leaving, he was told, and he didn't say who told him this, but said, go ask Randy Couture what it's like to try and leave the UFC. I mean, they are just, uh, if you re recall, like the Randy Couture si situation in 2007, he thought he could retire and he could just go out, uh, go out and fight elsewhere. And dude, they, gr they grinded him down. And dude, a year later, Randy Couture was back and yeah. he got put in there with Brock Lesnar. So in that situation, it was Randy Couture did not have the escape clause from the, the contract, but he had the opponent and the ready-made fight in this situation. And Ganu's out, but at least in MMA, he doesn't have that opponent. And we will see, like a PFL, how much are they willing to spend? How much would a Bellator be willing to offer a Ryzen, a one? And where, how you make this money back? Like this is not a space where these other MMA promotions have you know, pay-per-view equity that you can make this money back on. Like it's very hard. This, this system has been designed in such a way that the UFC dominates this industry and other promotions can exist, but it is so far from number one to number two. And we're going to see like Francis Ngannou, like, can he navigate this industry without the UFC barring these boxing fights, which, you know, could be very, very lucrative for him. And does this worker right, workers rights conversation, does this end here without his involvement with the UFC or can it continue? Well, it's, it's very notable to see how few fighters have come out and applauded 
this guy and what he is trying to do. I don't think you are going to see any kind of groundswell. I think many fighters, how many fighters could you imagine turning down a fraction of this money that Francis Ngannou is? I, and listen, I'm not even blaming these fighters. Like that's uh life changing money. And for many, they have a short window to make money and they're not going to spend their career trying to take a stand for something that may lead nowhere. History would tell you it like Randy Couture lost a year of his career as he was in his mid forties, like a very prime part of his, you know, that run after the, after the Tim Sylvia fight and the Gabriel Gonzaga fight, like he was in a prime position to, you know, he probably lost out on at least one to two fights during that standoff. He comes back, he's, he's beaten by Brock and he's, he's certainly never at the level he was before he left. So it's no guarantee you're going to find success. And I just think so much of this, this system, it is, like the fighters are just at the mercy of of the promotion. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. That uh, is the last uh, story that we will have as we are going to go into Dynamite now, uh, which took place on Wednesday night from the Save Mart Center in Fresno, California. The show opened up with a graphic for Jay Briscoe. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, several performers wearing armbands throughout the show. We saw the Young Bucks pay tribute with a doomsday device and... So, I mean, and Excalibur as well, bringing up Jay Briscoe. So it was not like there was no representation of Jay Briscoe, but I would imagine it was, um, I'm sure they wanted to do a whole lot more. And when I saw the show open and it, there was, I was expecting like the roster would be out there on the stage. So when they mm-hmm. weren't, I definitely thought that I thought that would have been a given. And I'm sure it would have been if it was Tony Khan having his um, ability to produce this show without any kind of restraint. You know, considering the recency of the news, um, considering, you know, you're talking about a locker room that feels very much like it's born out of. Um, Think of how cathartic that would have been for that locker room to get oh. that chance to at least go out yeah. on the stage. They must have been devastated all day. Well, yes, absolutely. And there, and for, we would assume they, they would have had that chance in the taping afterwards. Um, you know, they, I'm sure again, I'm assuming that, 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 that that's where we're you're right. Everything. I'm sure, I'm sure but, they, they likely did that at the but, tribute, but, but, you know, it, it, I was just, you know, just to finish my thought, like considering Tony Khan owns the rights to, to the entire library of the Briscoes, essentially. Like I, I figured we'd at least get some sort of like bigger presence on, on TV. But again, we've, we've talked about the story. Maybe eventually the truth will come out, but um, you know, for now it, it seems at least for me, easy to speculate that it might come down to whatever Warner, whatever issue Warner had. Opening match was Orange Cassidy retaining the all Atlantic championship over Jay lethal, uh, who was wearing uh, an armband and, the stipulation was that Jarrett, Sutnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt were banned from ringside or else Dutt and Dutt alone would be fired. So they showed up in the audience and then Danhausen came to check on their tickets when the best friends arrived in the front row and Orange Cassidy is in the ring. He eventually rolls away from Lethal who tries the, t- the elbow drop off of multiple turnbuckles and then finally Cassidy gets his boot up on the last attempt. Uh, he comes back, uh, stun dog, Tornado DDT and then sidesteps the lethal injection and the orange punch uh, gets caught and he dumps orange Cassidy hits the injection, but orange Cassidy rolls out to the floor and we see Chuck Taylor dumping popcorn onto Dutt. So Bryce Remsburg goes to warn Sanjay Dutt. So Jeff Jarrett passes the guitar to Jay lethal behind Bryce's back as Bryce had to just play blind 
and the guitar gets intercepted by Dan Housen, and back in the ring, Cassidy hits the orange punch, pinning Lethal in 907. Mm-hmm. You know, they had announced this match prior, so it, I, it wasn't intentional, but I mean, there is a part of me that um, liked having an orange Cassidy match to start the show. Just, you know, it provided a good amount of levity to the wrestling world. Um, I, I was, um, you know, I, I enjoyed everything that they did with the best friends and uh, Sanjay in the crowd. I thought all of that worked really well. And I, I like the pairing a whole lot of this, you know, Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett tag team with the best friends because you're it's sort of like the mid card comedy act. But, you know, with an Orange Cassidy match, you can and, and Jay Lethal, you can expect like some really hot matches uh, to boot. But I thought everything that they did around it was incredibly successful. So I can't believe like I'm saying this about this, like Jeff Jarrett run in AEW, but it's it's been it's been pretty entertaining. So far. you've come around on it. Yeah, I have. Have you not? I mean, I wasn't as down on it as everyone else was um, at the beginning. Like, I don't want to see him like all over the television, but I think he's I think this program's been a lot of fun and I like the pairing. Like it's um, I, I think it's actually brought out a lot in like Sutton Singh as like they're really positioning him as this giant and they're very smart in how they handle him. And I think it adds something being in this group and Jarrett sort of being. You know, he brings something unique and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's to me, it's not a, it's not a giant role that dominates the television. And Jeff Jarrett, he's a very, he's a very seasoned, very good performer that gets heat on all these shows. Like the audience always reacts to him. So Singh comes into the ring and he goes to double chokeslam the best friends, but Dud is freaking out to save his job. So he stops them. Then he stops Jared as he winds up the guitar and then Cassidy tries to get him going by hitting the weak kicks. And Dutt has to be restrained. So um, I guess in in the end, they could end up in the ring, but they could not get physical. And thus, he kept uh, yeah. his job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't interrupt the match. You know, he, he didn't get de- get the DQ'd or anything. But this was after so. the match. He, he, you couldn't do anything after the match either. I guess it, it lasts for 24 hours. You can't touch him. Kushida video package, um, highlights from Ring of Honor in New Japan. So we got a uh, Cody Rhodes, uh, in a submission by Kushida. Oh, I did not notice. Package. Yes. Okay. The Young Bucks versus Top Flight. This was a uh, Top Flight's debut match in AEW in November of 2020. Hmm. And, uh, coming into this one, you know, first of all, um, Nick points up to the sky, both have the armbands on. And as I mentioned, they did do a, a tribute spot here with the, with the doomsday device, but also they brought up uh, that there was like a lot of story to this, that the young bucks had, first of all, they're reeling from this best of seven series and this brutal ladder match. And they have not had a proper tag match since fighter fest in July, when they were in a three-way match and lost the tag titles to swerve in our glory. So July until now, um, why was it that big gap? In uh, like September, October, they had no, they didn't get any tag matches in that. Did you notice that? Oh, uh, you know, it's there's a lot of people on the roster, um, just couldn't fit them in. But Nick is outsmarting Dante at the beginning, sweeps him on the apron, and then Darius gets the hot tag and hits a standing Spanish fly, and then a follow up Lope to the floor. Um, there's a power bomb nosedive combination delivered to Matt, but Nick makes the save. Big reaction to that. Then a slingshot 
destroyer by Nick onto Darius for the two count. Then Matt kisses the armband. They hit the doomsday device. Dante saves. And then we see Dante do a springboard to the floor. And he is met in midair with a double super kick from the Bucks. Darius is left prone in the ring. He ducks a BTE trigger and rolls up Matt for the surprise win in 12 minutes and 11 seconds. And this place went nuts for it's a very rare uh, booking by AEW having your established stars lose and Excalibur is immediately bringing up the effect the best of seven has had on them. And given all of the factors, this made perfect sense for top flight to get this win and keep them going. And, you know, this was a significant outcome on the show. I found the booking certainly very interesting. First of all, the match, I, I think it is as exactly as you'd expect, you know, from two kind of mirror image types of tag teams. Just Number incredible. two of the night for me. <laughs> and that really is saying something, but, um, it, it, but you know, it's the booking that, that is going to be the most interesting thing coming, coming out of this. Um, I kind of saw this as their way of building up to a tech, like, you know, let's say tag team champions. Um, one of the tag team wrestlers wrestles a singles match, gets pinned en route to a, you know, um, the the tag, the other tag team challenging for a tag team match. This maybe felt to me like it was the Bucks taking a tag team loss to top top flight. So maybe top flight can then challenge for the trios championships. That's what you I know? think they they go with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Air Fox, I, I suppose. You know, would would probably be the, uh, that person. But um, it's it. But because you maybe know, he's young- gone off with all the money. He wasn't on this show. Like maybe he took the three hundred grand and he's enjoying himself. They have really said. not incorporated that money into. Like I did feel the money would like play some factor, which we haven't seen yet. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe Air Fox is out enjoying himself, but maybe Top Flight are like you know buying some nice mutual funds. You know, like really kind of uh, tax season is coming. Maybe um, some GICs. Yeah, yeah. You know, just kind of take advantage of the dip right now but um i i mean it's 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 it the effect is certainly a whole lot more meaningful than simply you know nick jackson taking a pinfall loss to darius martin for instance because the young bucks are this incredible entity that i think we've built up in our heads and we've seen them in the past against top flight and they've to my knowledge um i don't think they've ever lost to top flight right there was some yeah so this is like you know, pretty monumental, but it makes sense that there's something behind this um, to get you interested in, you know, a trios match, per, for instance. So very, very good match, I thought. And I, I like the the booking of it as well and what it means for top flight and probably by extension, AR Fox. The acclaimed are set to come out, but instead the guns come and they state that they were embarrassed last week. They take credit for making the acclaimed popular. We even gave them our dad. So the acclaim come out and Austin Gunn cuts off the music stating no rap tonight. Caster surveys the crowd and then they restart the music and start from the top. I guess this was uh, maybe an idea from uh, last week's Rampage. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, interesting. Maybe it's easier to catch onto the beat if you start it while they're actually out. So he raps about the two only having jobs because of their dad, about Hunter Biden. And then this one line that got totally censored. So I don't know what he said here, but this was this was bleeped out on both TBS and TSN. Yeah, and something I, I saw bullshit. I saw him word the word the words bullshit, which I thought you could say, but maybe not. I mean, uh, Takeshita got asshole out later, so maybe mm-hmm. it was um I don't know. And so Billy, they start brawling, and Billy separates everyone and te- has had enough of this. And next week we're getting family therapy. Yes, yes. Now does this mean um 
backstage sketches. Does Scorpio Sky make a return as a, a attendee? <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm Scorpio Sky, if uh, that, that's my return <laughs> that I'm envisioning after all these months. Yeah. But, you know, like this is a feud, everybody that like is not necessarily um, getting me interested because of the in-ring. I'm interested because of the personalities. And I think as personalities, the two of them are really great fits. Um, so I'm all for, you know, what what seem to be vignettes um, behind the scenes. Do, who would be like a, a worthwhile, you know, um they got it like they can't just redo like a Dr. Shelby type of thing, you know, they've got to kind of put their own very unique spin on it. I'm sure they will come up with something clever. I feel, I don't know who the, hmm. who they will have in these sketches, but um, hopefully they turn out well, they've got the personalities to pull it off. Renee interviews hangman page in the back. And this is one where they, they are not pretending like Renee is just this neutral party. Um, you know, hangman knocked out her husband last week and, asks how hangman is doing after last week's match and he said the moxley took something from me in my first match and i got that back moxley apparently told renee over the last week that hangman pushes him to be a better version of himself and that and he both despises and cherishes hangman and hangman has a moment of reflection that he really said that (laughs) hangman says he would gladly have another match with him down the road and in terms of what's next he alludes to some broken fences that he needs to mend, but he doesn't want to get too specific. So obviously mm. Matt Hardy and Hangman Page are going to go over that whole contract situation and we're going to finally put that to bed. Remember that? That's the that's the was Hangman involved in What what other long-term issues has Hangman had with anyone on the roster that would necessitate mending fences? Wait, was was Hangman involved in the whole Matt Hardy contract? don't you remember that scene at the bar where he was trying to get hangman to sign this was like two years ago god no i don't remember i'm sorry but you know uh i like the segment a lot like let let, let me just finish the part please please yeah sorry because way this is part's done so way what did you think about my recap (laughs) did you think that i emphasis yeah yeah it wasn't so hard you know it wasn't so difficult john um so how's uh How's John really doing? Don't well, don't kayfabe yeah. the cameras. So well, they try. Listen, I, I give them credit. They're trying to do something different here. So the idea is the camera's still rolling, and now they're having a real. They're, it's real talk, okay? Yeah. And Renee says, you know, John's been hurt in some way or another for the last ten years. He'll dust himself off. And Hangman goes to ask Renee to pass along something to Moxley, but then he has second thoughts and says, "Never mind." Yeah, hey, man, it, always be rolling. Okay, if you're the cameraman. <laughs> yeah, listen, like this is the company that like puts so much effort into like making sure that like we have a reason for the invisible camera. I think this is as close as we're going to get to like, you know, why was a camera on this and why did this make broadcast? Did the editor not catch this? Um, whatever. Like it's good storytelling and I I I can really appreciate them just kind of letting go of that a little bit how did you Um, think they like this was the most like we we've certainly seen like references when mjf has brought up moxley to renee and stuff but this was one where you know it was like we're not just gonna play dumb and pretend renee doesn't like she should be uh like we saw her husband storyline concussed last week like Mm -hmm. she should have some stake in the game here i thought it was very good and in, in particular i thought it called 
upon a lot more of Renee's acting ability than we've pretty much ever seen, like in, in one of these backstage segments where she's really just holding a microphone. Here, she had to essentially play somebody who had to be a professional interviewer who was still uneasy about talking to the man, looking at the man that had just concussed the person she, you know, the father of her child, yet at the same time trying her best to maintain professionally composed. And I thought she like conveyed that really well. Um, I, you know, she did little things like crossing her arms, um, made some, you know, little uncomfortable smirks. Like I imagine if Megan O'Levy ever like interviewed, I don't know, one of like Joseph Benavides's opponents is that might have just like, you know, defeated. Oh, her she's husband. had to do that. She's had to interview like opponents of like Benavides afterwards as well. Yeah. Like, and it, it probably looked something similar to this. Mm-hmm. Right. R- Renee is great with that. When you, if you watch during her interviews, the way she reacts without having to say anything, just like, body language and just different expressions like it's it's very noticeable it's it's very effective mm-hmm. jake hager against ricky starks um th- this was a match uh the jericho appreciation society is out jericho's on commentary uh hager gets his hat on then starks takes it and does his pose and menard and parker got involved stomping him on the floor and then they set up a table and the big spot here was <laughs> Parker running at Starks, and as he sidesteps, slides him across the table, and this guy just glided across this table on the floor. So the end comes when Starks knocks Menard off the apron. Hager misses Starks running into Parker and sets up the spear. Starks wins in 622, and then the rest of the JAS ran down, and Starks escaped through the crowd. I think they continue to heat up Starks incredibly well. You know, I... I don't know how often he's actually looked bad against the the Jericho Appreciation Society. How many times have we ended a segment with him actually like suffering some any sort of like defeat or embarrassment? I I always at least like for the most part see him always like getting his hand raised or looking cool or or somehow vanquishing the, the Jericho Appreciation Society. And I don't think my interest in the feud is diminished at all because of it. And maybe for me, it's because there's such a huge discrepancy in terms of star power between a Chris Jericho and a Ricky Starks that I think Jericho can certainly afford to be, you know, knocked down several pegs before and, and, and conversely Starks raised several before they're even, you know, close. Like the, the whole point of this feud, everybody is to, Simply get Ricky Starks up on a level where we can see him in a feud with Chris Jericho and not really kind of bat an eye. You know, it's not just a mid-carder facing a legend. You know, we want to now be able to see two main eventers who are on equal plane fa- facing each other. And I, I think they've done a great job of that. They recapped Adam Cole's return. He wasn't on the show tonight, but did do a promo that he's back. And they really feel like they're priming him for a big run upon this return as a babyface. Jericho Appreciation Society is in the back, and Jericho challenges Starks and the orphan Action Andretti for a tag match with him and Guevara next week. But Daniel Garcia steps in. He wants Guevara's spot if he can beat Andretti on Friday. Guevara loves this. He is more than happy to step aside. And he says, if Garcia wins Friday, you can have my spot, and I've got new ring gear for you. And Daniel Garcia gets his new leather pants. So it will either be La Sex Gods or... Garcia Garcia Co Garcia Co is what he said. Um Jerry Garcia is right there, you know. For wow. For, yeah. Yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm shocked, you know, for for somebody with uh, you know, of Chris Jericho's uh, uh pedigree to to not come up with that one. 
I love that he's he's leaning in more and more to these because I I, I recall that that uh, one interview where the idea of Christmas was suggested to him. Dude, he looked like he was going to vomit when he heard that. No, it will. We mm. will never be called that. Garcia Co is kind of on that level, isn't it? Garcia Co. You don't. Th- this could be his his GFY. It could be. Yeah. Jerry Garcia. That's good. Brian Danielson against Bandito, former Ring of Honor champions meeting here. And the story that they incorporated here is that Brian Danielson, his favorite luchador is Blue Panther. And I dug up this tweet from 2017 where Brian Danielson was sent a signed mask from Blue Panther and invited Danielson to come train with him. So they worked in some like Blue Panther spots in this match, including El Nudo Lagunero, the standing figure four that uh, Bandito was continually trying to apply onto Brian Danielson. So it's like they did some like like this this Lucha background uh, in the beginning and Excalibur giving like the history here of why this all makes sense. Once again, like last week, this crowd very much behind the opponent of Danielson. Like they mm-hmm. all got into Bandito as soon as the bell rang. And like they're having a very nice match. And then we start to see some of the power spots from Bandito, like some deadlifts. And then he goes for the vertical suplex. And Danielson was after about 10 seconds, Danielson was ready to come down. This was not going to be the Jericho spectacular. So whether that was their intention or not, uh, they just kept going here, which knowing Brian Danielson's history, the idea of putting this man uh, in that upright position with a uh, blood rushing to his head, 10 seconds was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. <laughs> so then he does an Eddie Guerrero frog splash onto the knees of Danielson, who applies the label lock, then hyper extends into the Fujiwara arm bar and Bandito fights his way, gets his foot on the rope for the big pop. They just want to see this continue. And they're so behind Bandito. The yes kicks are uh, executed by Danielson, but instead of yes, the crowd is all yelling C. The 21 plex is hit and Danielson lands on his feet and he goes for La Magistral Cradle, which Bandito kicks out. He tries one of his own and Danielson uh, hits a flying knee off the apron and they battle on top. And dude, Bandito hits Brian Danielson with the fall away moonsault. I could not believe that they they pulled this one off. And anytime Bandito does this, I'm amazed. It is just incredible. Can't go for the cover. He hits the 21 plex and dude Danielson just comes crashing down. Uh, kicks out at two. The place explodes. They trade slaps. They trade kicks. Danielson stops a brain buster into the label lock. He scissors the arm, but Bandito deadlifts up. Bandito pushes him off, off the ropes, Busaiku knee and pins Bandito in 17 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, this was just a phenomenal match. What a terrific match. Wow. You know, um, two for two here with Danielson and MJF. So, MJF maybe should be booking dynamite. Honestly, like he's given us two, two classics here right now. I think it's such an incredible concept to get Danielson hot enough for a pay-per-view headlining bout by putting him in great matches on television. Um, that what a crazy about. idea. It's insane. I know. I know. We're but- going to have this guy wrestle the best wrestlers <laughs> in the world for four weeks and I think people are going to love it and they're going to want to see this guy 
go for the title at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's working. Yeah. Big spotlight for Bandito and he impresses as, as usual. But, you know, you're right, John, like you don't get a bigger fan favorite, you know, in any promotion than a Brian Danielson. And yet in this crowd, um, they were booing him. And I think there's some, that's something very special about AEW matches where sometimes the fan favorite babyface can seamlessly transition into a heel role. Because these crowds are so into the lesser known but highly respected and highly regarded underdogs that they put, whether it be a Takeshita or a Bandito or throughout the course of that match, an action Andretti here, you know. Um, but I'm speaking in particular with baby faces like, you know, Danielson in this case, John Moxley, certainly. We see him flip back and forth depending on who his opponent is. The Young Bucks are able to achieve this. Kenny Omega is able to achieve this as well. And um, this was just another wonderful example of that. So next week, it's going to be, well, first we, we go to MJF on screen and he sees what everyone is saying about him and whether he can, uh, whether he deserves this position in the company. And he calls the fans fickle for all the moments he has given them and refers to himself as masked Max, the guy who likes to keep things light and fun. But as we get closer to revolution, his mask is going to slip off more and more. And Danielson won't want to see that because no dragon is a match for the monster behind the mask. I thought he already had the mask. I thought he already took the mask off. Wasn't this the the guy with the mask with the poker chip? Well, have you ever seen face off? Uh, I have. Yes. Yeah. It turns out that MJF is the Miz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm curious to know what this means. Okay. This seems to hint at some sort of deeper, you know, darker version of an MJF that we're going to see at the pay-per-view. And I'm not expecting the man to put on some great mood of face paint. You know, I'm not expecting a, a demon fiend version of, of MJF, although that would be very interesting, but the promise of, of like a level two of, of an MJF, a more serious one without sort of like the, the wisecracks and the jokes. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's exciting. Um, under that sort of create that creative person, I'm very excited to see what that means. Soraya is with Hikaru Shida and Tony Storm calling Hikaru uh, and her kendo stick botch last week a stupid, idiotic move, bringing that down to ringside. Storm sticks up for Shida and tells Soraya these AEW homegrown talent are in a bubble. They've never done anything else. They don't know what we do. And tonight, Storm is going to show Willow Nightingale why they are the best. And Soraya tells Shida to stay back here. And Shida is left upset about this demotion Mm -hmm. yeah that's right so you know i I mean you know between this and in the match i mean the the baby face heel lines are very clearly drawn and they seem to be going ahead with this aw originals versus um what do you call the others i guess imports um uh blue blood yeah signees i don't know know (laughs) what you call them the full full sale Full, <laughs> that's what you'd like to call them whatever um wwe okay uh wh- wh- what's a funny name for what's an interesting name <laughs> chat room let us know anyway so um wh- what do you think what do you think does this mean baker and hater the originals are their baby faces um that's quite the turn if this was their turn are they now they're now the baby fa- it seems what? like that promo going into full gear it was like Okay, this is either Soraya's comeback match or she's coming in here to destroy AEW. And it seems like they tried story A. Now we're going to story B. 
the turn really should have occurred like I think week two, you know, after she cut that promo. But anyway, we'll we'll talk more about the actual turn once we finish. She's been to the Tokyo Dome. (laughs) Oh my god, that's the that's the gimmick. She just lies about her accomplishments. So it's going to be Brian Danielson against Brian Cage next week. Two Brian's. Are you going to be able to handle that, John? We'll find out. I mean, man, a company having two guys with the same first name. How will we ever do? How how can you tell these two apart? I I don't know. They're virtually identical. MJF walks in where Brian Cage is with Prince Nana and he has an envelope of cash. He doesn't care if Cage wins or loses next week, just as long as you break his arm. And then he slaps Cage and he grabs MJF by the throat and MJF holds up the money and says, what you're feeling right now is hate. And there is no greater motivator than hate that he learned at an early age. So use this emotion next week against Danielson. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the slap was that necessary, John. You know, like maybe he could have stubbed his toe or something like that. Well, that's the most promotion (laughs) on this show for what was to follow on TBS afterward. No, that is it. You're right. Yeah, I guess maybe that's that's the intent. I I guess I like I see a Brian Cage at at a certain level that like the man shouldn't just be accepting, you know, this level of disrespect, even if it does mean a big stack of cash. Isn't the whole story that Prince Nana like he's was able Ashanti to buy the, buy the embassy from Tully Blanchard. He bought yeah. Tully Branch Blanchard Enterprises. Like, is this guy hurting for an envelope of cash? Well, that's the other thing. It's like you know, like the main Prince Nana is an Ashanti prince, okay? And you're telling me an Ashanti prince has never seen a pile of cash like that. MJF has has you know a higher net worth than an Ashanti prince. That's what MJF said. It's like you're there's more money in this envelope than you two have ever seen in your lives. I'm like that that is definitely not consistent with Prince Nana. Maybe we have to look into, you know, the 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 how much um, how much the uh, Ashanti royal family currently has. Tony Storm against Willow Nightingale. Saraya's in the corner. Um Sheeta comes down with the kendo stick right as they're going to the picture and picture break. Uh Willow gets out of a full Nelson, hits the pounce, and then there's a cannonball by Tony Storm. Willow kicks out, and then Soraya gets on the apron, distracting Willow and allowing Tony Storm to roll her up. So a WWE finish for the ex-WWE professionals in seven minutes, 14 seconds. Um, you, think that'll as- be the, you think that'll be the gimmick, too? They'll just win with, like, you know, oh, the music went on. I lost. Yeah. They're going to promote a match for next week and then not do it. <laughs> So he's like, we we don't have to do the match just because we said we would. I guess that's the, not how it works. I guess the the you know on the boss line was. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be Baker's gimmick then? I mean, they're essentially going to do all the um all the hits that the Jericho Appreciation Society maybe passed on. That's that right. Need. Um, then Willow is protesting the finish, so Soraya jumps her, and this crowd is like, "Oh my god, this is like this is permanent." And she beats her down with Tony Storm. Sheeta just watches. And Ruby Soho comes to Willow's aid. So we've got Ruby Soho and Willow against Soraya and Tony Storm. And Sheeta is somewhere in the middle. I mean, Sheeta is probably on the on the baby, the AEW original side of things. And I I thought for a sec, like, and I still don't rule this out, but, you know, uh, I thought Ruby was going to turn on Willow, which I thought would have been terrible because the man, she just bled. They just, they just bled, bled with each other. Yeah. You know, exactly. So, I mean. I hope they don't do that, but I mean, if if this idea, I suppose, like it gives something for some some interesting material for Ruby, you know, to to be able to say like, um, 
hey, that place wasn't that great. You know, like the, this, this place is way better in many ways. Um, so I'm I, w- I wish Ruby had run down and still had all the blood over her face just to give everybody else another 24 hours of, uh, of outrage. <laughs> well, or she'll just, she could just bleed again, don't we? Uh, can't she? Um, I think the Soraya storm turn is, is a good direction for the both of them. Certainly it is for Soraya. Um, but the change in character totally lacked in any sort of subtlety week to week and, and almost like it's, it's occurred with almost zero character motivation. It's like, I, I just don't like turns that are so black and white one week to the other. And I felt like this, this was unfortunately that. I think it probably is a better role for Soraya, but this, it was a little abrupt here where we, and with Tony Storm part of the package too. I mean, mm-hmm. here is somebody that, um, yeah, it, We'll see, like, if this and also what effect this has on Jamie Hader and Britt Baker. Um, well, because you're dealing with so many shades of gray, at, at least, you know, with Baker and Hader, right? I think they could have really teased and dangled the turn that much more so that you build to that one big moment where, like, yeah, at the end of the match, Soraya attacks, you know, uh, uh, without, without being prompted. Here, it just felt like overnight, like they were suddenly on the heel side on the, on the rundown and they had to act like the worst villains in the world. Rampage on Friday. So I guess they were doing this, this Ring of Honor tribute show and then Rampage. Uh, afterwards, I would assume, um, that they were, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, it is a West Coast show as well. So I mean, they do have, you know, it's, it's, uh, like it's a five o'clock start time for Dynamite locally. So it's Daniel Garcia against Action Andretti, Brian Cage against Willie Mack that they just did on, on Dark this week. And of course, had had many memorable matches in Lucha Underground together. Jade Cargill and Layla Gray will be in action. Eddie Kingston will speak. And then Ethan Page against Jack Perry. And we had a promo from Ethan Page and Stokely. Basically, Ethan's tired of being on elevation. And it's payback time for Jungle Boy tapping out Lee Moriarty. Mm -hmm. Dynamite will have Danielson and Cage and more matches announced Friday. They recap Takeshita with MJF and his match with Danielson. And he tells Renee that Danielson is his hero. He learned so much. And now he's going to have Danielson's back. He doesn't trust MJF. And then he speaks in Japanese. Renee asks, what does, what does that mean? MJF is an asshole. <laughs> got a laugh out of the arena. Got a laugh out of me. And, you know, it's been a long time, John, since I've been the new kid in class in, in a foreign country. But um, it's kind of hard to make friends when you don't really know the language as well. But if you can make people laugh, I mean, by that's swearing. by swearing, essentially. Yes, um, you're in, you know, and, and I, I thought this worked with him. Um, and tying him to Danielson, I like it for this feud. Uh, of course, it makes you wonder, you know, what how, what's going on with the Callus thing? You know, they're keeping that pretty exclusively on Dark. They, they yeah, I thought that up. this was going to be uh, – t- when they did the recap, I thought, okay, they're just going to run the angle with Don Callis. But that wasn't even brought up here in any way. Yeah, on I, I mean, and they're continuing to build that pretty strong on Dark. Like this past week, you had a – you know, like backstage interaction with with Callis essentially telling Takeshita, great match you had, but the one thing you're missing is representation. But it's found no sort of, um, uh, you know, I guess representation <laughs> representation on on the actual dynamite itself. So, you know, may, I, I imagine they're still building up to something later on. But for now, it seems like they're tying him to Danielson. Another person who's representing himself, maybe Don Callis should be handing his card to Francis Ngannou. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure he'd be able to benefit from that. I'd like to see Paul Heyman. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, Francis Ngannou, I maybe 
if he's looking for uh, to be a true independent contractor, um, I, I don't know. Maybe a maybe a former promoter is is not going to be his direction that he looks for. Darby Allen and Kushida for the TNT Championship is the main event with Kevin Knight and the DKC in Kushida's corner and Sting with Darby. So the story of this match was Kushida destroying this man's shoulder and working on it and setting it up for the hoverboard lock. So it's constant work on the arm. Uh, eventually Darby gets free. He seats Kushida in on a chair, uh, but then Darby goes to the top. He leaps off to the floor and is caught in the arm bar. And apparently during this match, it was the one, it, there was a lower third for a power slap yeah. coming up next. So we could take just a, a break here to talk about like the lack of promotion for power slap on this show. Um, it was as minimal as possible, like nothing within the body of the show. And just interesting to see that, um, that aspect of things that there was not a, like this has been positioned to, capture this AEW audience the success of that show is going to be wrestling fans sticking around uh, for it afterwards but certainly not um, any significant promotion because the show was already in such hot water I I could I can see you know like a like a TBS TNT saying uh, okay guys like you know you don't have to talk about it that much I don't know I don't I, I you're right like I, I mean to me, it's like are, are you running with the show or not because it's like it seems we're, similar we're to, the way, to the show like we want the show to be successful well it seems certainly we can classify power slap at this point to be a controversial show simply because of, of the person that's attached to it um and it they, seems they, like they did broadcast it they put up like warnings about like do not try this at home like they're putting up like like that could be yeah. certainly if, if this thing does like catch on um i mean it's controversial simply because of the sport itself but for me namely because of, of the dana white um attachment to it oh yeah i'm just know? like there's there's added stuff beyond just the, the dana stuff that you know right. just the content of it itself don't but, that don't something- just slap each other at uh, like you know full full force at home and yeah, but um you know it, it felt very similar to the way USA treated the Teddy Hart documentary um with with no promotion on Raw whatsoever you know fans would have been surprised if they saw that afterwards and outside of this lower third I saw no real integration within the body of the show and you know it's understandable but um yeah I mean maybe next week maybe that that's that changes. I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think just if you're so committed to the show, I just I would have just put it off till like a better time of the year. Like you've got the episodes banked. I, I don't know. But they probably, you know, they felt the need that they had to get this out there. Uh so there's an inverted superplex to Darby off the top, hoverboard lock, but Darby clasps his hands and Knight offers Sting the towel and Sting just takes the towel, wipes his brow and throws it, which is a pretty like uh, famous story that John McCarthy talked about from one of the early UFCs was, you know, a fighter being in trouble and the corner has the towel and I think it was like McCarthy stating, like, you can throw in the towel and the guy just turns and just throws it into the crowd. It was like, OK, that was before referees had the ability to stop fights. And it was after that instance that McCarthy went and said, I have to have the power to stop fights. I think this was at UFC 2, which was his first card. But that was um, that was the tipping point for him was like the one of the cornermen throwing the towel into the crowd. There was going to be no towel thrown in to stop the fight. And the cornerman probably thought it was such a badass moment. 
Well, it was a, uh, it was a different time. Darby then just all of a sudden he escapes the hoverboard lock and uses the last supper. And this to me was just a really, um, fast finish that to me came out of nowhere uh, that's what the last supper is it's an out of nowhere finish that is not a like it, it, that's what makes it so unique to me and that's why i love it as a finisher i mean where's the appetizer where's the main course where's <laughs> like uh, uh last supper is not th- this was just like uh you know this was a five-hour energy drink <laughs> pretty much yeah it's a meal in like a, a pack yeah um but i love it as a finisher because it's an out of nowhere finisher that's not high impact but purely technical and i don't no think anyone's kicked out of it have they that's the gimmick. Like it, yeah. nobody escapes it. It's his ultimate finisher, and it's not like a big, crazy pile driver. It's, it's a technical move, and I, I love that he, you know, he won this match, a very technical match, and also a very high impact match. Not as high impact as you know the prior Darby Allen matches, and I'm very thankful to see that. But this was a match that I think relied a whole lot more on his ability to sell, and it was fantastic, John. You know, Kushida, I don't think has looked so special. To me, at least, in what I've seen of him in a very long time. Age uh, game, Kushida. 40. He'll be 40 in uh, May. Yeah. No, it's hard and, to tell with Asians. Oh, yeah, dude, he, he's looked 23 for, <laughs> you know, 16 years. Ah, Marty, the, it's the Marty McFly gimmick, right? Uh, what did you think of the match? It was it was a very good match. Um, you know, I was watching this, and especially the spot where Darby leaps to the floor into the armbar, and I'm just thinking of like he's done that with the Kyle or well, that's been- that's who I was thinking of. It's like, man, I I really hope we get a Kushida Kyle O'Reilly who's you know dealing with his own the you know mm-hmm. issues as well. Um, that yeah, I just uh, I, I love those two together. But this was a really really enjoyable match. Very very good match. A lot of good wrestling on this show between this. Um, the top flight young bucks and uh, the match of the night, Danielson and Bandito. So yeah, they really sold afterwards that Darby's arm could be significantly damaged for future title defenses. They shook hands and indicated Kushida wants another crack at him down the road. And it, it ended with Excalibur stating that Jay Briscoe uh, was, was in their hearts as the show concluded. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the arm injury will play, um, play a factor in, in the uh, mood. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Yeah. In the mood of bye bye is, is oh the mood of bye bye. Um, yeah. That's right. That's coming up on Sunday. Yeah, he's got a him and Sting have a flight. Mm-hmm. So right. so uh, since Darby Allen has faced the Japanese wrestler, he he knows exactly what he's in for, right? According to uh, uh, <laughs> um, forget the uh, Kevin Patrick. Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's, he's faced what he's he's had a lot of time training. He, he's uh, familiar with, wrestler, with uh, the with Japanese the, style. The Japanese style he learned yeah. he learned from a guy. All right. Your thoughts on Dynamite overall? Yeah, it was a good show. You know, I mean, I can't help but um, say that I was not disappointed by the end of the show to not see uh, a bit more for, for Jay Briscoe. But I, again, I, I I can presume, you know, the reason for that. As a wrestling show, in terms of entertainment, it was tremendous. Uh, we're on a string of really, really strong Dynamites here, you know, with great, great wrestling top to bottom and like matches that you're excited for before you're even tuning in. Yeah, it was, you know, the... Some very good wrestling on the show, but my mind was elsewhere on, on tonight. Like, I mm-hmm. really just was not in that mood. Like, e- even like writing and stuff today and then watching the show, it was just, um, while all the stuff is ongoing, it just felt so uh, beyond secondary, uh, to me. And, yeah. and I was hoping for more of like a Jay Briscoe tribute show. And mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of what I went in. I just, I did not expect that it would be an issue. Uh, Do you think if Tony had let people know that ahead of time that they were taping the special afterwards, you wouldn't have felt that like, um, should he have done that? 
I I still tweeted it out midway through Dynamite. I, I still would have felt the same way that it's obviously not his choice that they have got to do this this YouTube tribute show as opposed to the actual show itself. I probably would have felt similar at the same way. Like I don't feel this is you know a reflection on AEW at all. I'm sure that if if it was their say so, this would have certainly like at the very least 10 bell salute at the start. Like it was mm-hmm. the story. Like I was being contacted like by like non CHCH today. Um, they, they were doing a story on Jay Briscoe. Like this was a mm. major story. Um, to me, it was the only story in professional wrestling today. Um, you know, even with like a major, you know, Nick Khan and the latest in that, like that to me, yep. was just, it was, everything was about Jay Briscoe. And I think a lot of fans tonight were looking at this show to be almost kind of a, kind of like a a grieving period like event as these tribute shows unfortunately you know we've kind of rely on them to be look at the the brody lee special that they did yeah Yeah. i I think there's a lot of people who they did not like i don't think fans were looking for an escape on this show i think they wanted to celebrate jay briscoe and i know that's a lot to put on a company but again i i think it was very likely uh, out of their control to not do more but anyway, our we set our piece on on that throughout the show. But uh, we will make some time for feedback. Uh, we put up uh, our thread. Any super chats you want to get in, they are welcome as well. Yeah, as John Cena sent this a bit earlier while Jordan was on, he uh, sends uh, thank you all your honest for all your honest feelings and opinions. And we certainly thank uh, Jordan for jo- joining us on what I know has been a very difficult uh, event for him to you know um, process himself. So. Um, uh, if you um, happen to tune in uh, midway through the show, we encourage you to scroll back and, and uh, listen to his words about Jay Briscoe. Uh, King of the North sends $5 to say, why are we hoping for an AEW tribute show for Jay Briscoe when he spent all his time in ROH? Wouldn't it be fitting f- for that programming instead? Because I view this as one in the same. And given the makeup of this roster that had so many ties to Jay Briscoe, I felt this was the outlet to do it on. Yes. Um, I know... I know the game or at least like what, what, what Tony continues to profess is that these are separate companies, but when you see how much the roster, like essentially just kind of, you know, it's, it's the raw to this, to their SmackDown. It's the same thing, everybody. And I know maybe contractually, like something is different, but you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to think out loud. Like if it was somebody less controversial, than a Jay Briscoe, perhaps, you know, um, who was in this this terribly tragic situation. Would we be in a similar uh, situation? I, I don't know. I, I hate to even, you know, consider that. But you, you cannot overlook what has been reported out there about Warner's feelings on the Briscoes and not directly draw a line to this not happening tonight on this show. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, I just think that it was on everyone's... You know, the Ring of Honor championship was on the on the like on their show for like, like they a were whole year. the they were the champions, like that's um, yeah. And, and just not to mention, like I mean, it's a locker room that has like you know oh, like more half than the people have it's... have shared their time with with the Briscoes, and it's just it is the closest thing on a national broadcaster to, that we have to a Ring of Honor, and and the guy owns the company. Like I, I don't know why you wouldn't at least expect a ten bell salute. Okay, let's go to uh, forum.postwrestling.com for more of your thoughts on tonight's show. 
Okay, we're going to start off with Jomo. If you own the footage anyway, and it's kind of proven that the typical wrestling fan doesn't care much about looking up and watching old material, shouldn't you do these video packages like the one for Kushida? You you spent on the ROH footage, use it to build stuff more often. There was New Japan footage too, but it all immediately made Kushida seem legit enough to main event for a title despite never being on AEW television before. Even if someone does tune out, micro-targeting on what gets numbers and what doesn't really seem detrimental to making a cohesive, longer-form product. Anyway, Kushida rules, and he did here. Unsurprisingly, while Darby continues to be amazing with anyone, you knew the Dojo boys were going to get it at some point, and that Last Supper pin is one of the best trap finishers. The Young Bucks put Private Party over in a similar way in 2019. These guys haven't had a bad match in a decade, and while Top Flight deserve props, the Young Bucks are the elite standard, even without the punt. Um... These guys have been about in terms of time. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. Um, video packages, you know, tonight, I guess maybe tonight was an improvement. Wouldn't you say, John, for like, you know, somebody who's never made an appearance on AWTV before getting a video package um, versus just maybe a cold introduction? Like sometimes. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. And it's like Kushida, I think many more are familiar with. I mean, this guy was on WWE television. I think it was it was you announced the match. People were interested in it, but they also built it up throughout the show to justify a main event setting and that it's it's a big match. We got a Saeed from Vancouver who says another strong crowd for Dynamite, a night of amazing matches, but match of the night has to go to Bucks versus Top Flight. Now let Top Flight get a mystery third and challenge for the trio's titles as the acclaimed are busy still. Well, Air Fox is, is their trio's partner. Speaking of the acclaimed weird segment with the gun, something tells me Daddy Ass turns back heel. Hmm. Could you see that, John? No, I wouldn't be messing with that three. I don't think so either. Uh, Danielson, Bandito, very fun, given a lot of time. Weird seeing the crowd boo Danielson, but they love them some Bandito. And what can be said about the main event? Another great match. Uh, I was going to say it's good to see the women give more, give, be given more stories, but now it seems like they have paused the women's title for this. Okay. Um, I think they could be setting up a, a challenger for Hater through all of this. Yeah, I mean, the natural is people looking at the Baker option of when they are going to, if they're going to continue to keep this or you time it out for the pay-per-view, that that could be the direction. Could it be Soraya in that spot before yeah. Baker? Yeah, you could do Soraya before then if you're putting her into this heel role and hold off Baker for when the time is right, which it might not be at this point that you want to keep them all together. Uh, Mug and Top Flight and Young Bucks was very fun. Loved Matt and Nick's tribute to Jay Briscoe, and I dug how it framed Top Flight's victory over them as a result of the Bucks' focus on the trio's titles, and I hope their trajectory continues upward. Brian Danielson and Bandito ruled. Starts continues to stunt on the JAS. I was more confused about Saray and Tony leaning heel going forward. What is that going to lead to? Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter still exist. Darby and Kushida was a solid main event, and his top Jay Briscoe memory was the latter war with the Briscoes against Kevin Steen and El Generico. Which is a very famous match. Yeah. Um, you think Baker and Hayter are still involved in this or, or, or could they even be separated at this point? Yeah. It feels like this is its own program for now um, because the connection was more so with Soraya and Tony Storm as opposed to Willow Nightingale and Ruby Soho. So I could still see them kind of um, circulating around th- this program and potentially one of these parts, whether it's Soraya or someone else be- establishes themselves as haters uh, next challenger. Like this tag feud is not going to last forever either. 
Okay, we go up next to Chris from Yonkers, who says, Good evening, gentlemen. Taz on commentary never disappoints. His I know my letters line during the Jay Lethal fingers in the air taunt made me legitimately laugh out loud. Pleasantly surprised by the top flight victory. Hope this leads to a more prominent role for them in the tech division, not just a one-off trios match with the Elite. In both of your opinions, what are the chances we see the Bucks, Kenny Hangman, and Cole on the same side of the ring at some point this year? They're all faces, and Hangman hinted at mending fences during the host promo. Uh, unless it's a red herring and he's going to end up with, and he's going to make up with the remaining members of the dark order. Um, I think the chances are very strong. Everybody's on the baby face side right now. Timing is right. Do we have any sort of like big gimmick, you know, war, blood and guts types of matches coming up? It's revolution. Explosive right. barbed wire death match. Uh, sure. And then maybe on its way to um stadium stampede. Um, the elite. A double or nothing? A double or nothing? Yeah, but that's possible. Something or anarchy in the arena, whatever they like to call it. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. Um, I think that you have a chance to do it. Like I feel you at some point had to get there, and this should be like a long term like play. And this is kind of the first sort of inkling of going that direction, which you can you can do a very long reunion towards that and hopefully make it a big deal when they all come together and maybe something as far out as may is sort of what you're you're targeting hmm. yeah interesting next we go to cody from maine really struggled and as i'm sure many did to get into the show tonight that said it was a really solid addition the in-ring work was good to excellent particularly with danielson bandito living up to the hype storyline wise this was an exciting episode a much needed heel turn for soraya that also serves as a chance for tony storm to freshen up her character and hangman could go in a variety of different directions a question at the end here. How do you, how do each of you see the Starks Jericho Appreciation Society feud ending at this point in time? What's the destination? Another Starks victory over Jericho. Do we see a swerve with Andretti? Does its focus turn towards Garcia and Jericho? And are any of those destinations particularly exciting to you? Rest in peace to Jay Briscoe. I feel like the JAS is pretty full right now to, you know, bring another, like, bring an action Andretti in there. And I feel like that would, um, I don't know, just kind of make him another one of like seven people at this point. So I, I wouldn't really like to see that. I hope it ultimately means a Starks victory over Jericho. You know, like Jericho always will have value, of course, in this company. And unless you're promoting Jericho to a title match, um, I think it's more important to build Ricky Starks back up to challenge MJF. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you did the win on television, so I think you have to up the stakes in in some sense where it's something is on the line. Um, you know, maybe it's something where like Jericho goes away for a period of time. Like he has been running solid for this whole time period. Um, you know, the idea of you know him going away just to freshen up and then comes back uh, with something new. Um, you, you could build that up and starts as the one that gets you know this big win to end the feud. But you're you're looking at March, so I see that that's where this is going. But it's interesting. Like this is not just focused on starts. It's very much action and ready that they have also put in there. And Jericho's lost to both of these guys. So um, you know, I'm I'm sure that the hope is that. These two become players. I think Ricky Starks is uh, very much uh, in a great position. I'm. I still got questions about a- Action Andretti. Like he's not the complete package yet. But that's the hope of this program is that he is able to step up in a big way. But you're you're asking a lot of this performer who was uh, working independence not too long ago. Let's go to Mahmoud from Bahrain, who says, This episode of Dynamite was technically great, but it left a bad taste in my mouth. 
It is flabbergasting that a tribute was not done for a wrestler who was an active member of your roster and had the adoration of many of his peers. I understand that TK may not have had a choice, but not even doing a 10-bell tribute or video package makes me feel like there should have been pushback from w- to WB from the AEW team. I'm not trying to excuse Jay's comments as they were awful, but he has served his time and never de- doubled down or tried to make excuses. He has shown growth, which is something you can't say for many other wrestlers who have had a history of offensive comments if you compare a situation to that of a Tommy Dreamer. Um, I, 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 anyway, I, I'm simply reading my mood's thoughts. I don't know if I, 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 I'll comment on that here. Uh, if we can do a 10-bell salute and a whole award for the Ultimate Warrior who never showed remorse and was not even a member of the roster at the time of his death, then this issue becomes that Warner Brothers didn't want to pay tribute to Jay because he wasn't a big enough star to justify some of the pushback they may have received for dedicating an episode of Dynamite to. Rest in peace to Jay Briscoe, and I pray that his kids are able to recover from this tragic accident. Yeah. I mean, we, we've shared our thoughts. Like, I, I'm hesitant to just go all in on this when, you know, you want to know, like, the, mm-hmm. the details of what exactly went down and not just uh, make make assumptions that might not be played out. That's certainly the conclusion you're left with. And in this moment, I I think we, we put aside like that and understand that there is a lot bigger things going on with, with the Pew family. Um but yeah, I think we we made our thoughts known there. Last uh, word of the night is Chris in Ottawa. Tough to review something under such a dark cloud, so my heart goes out to you. I thought the performers were really incredible to perform as well as they did, given the circumstances and the hangman mock sweetness warmed my heart. Most of all, I want to acknowledge the incredible discussion with Jordan at the beginning of tonight's show. It was extraordinary, and I think we'll stand up to any potential recency bias on my part as one of Post's finest moments. Well, thank you very much, Chris. We appreciate you uh, listening to that and offering that feedback. And all of you that joined us uh, here tonight, it has been obviously a very, very tough uh, 24 hours or so uh, in wrestling. I also just want uh, to take a second as well to uh, send out best wishes to Amari Miller and Kevin Nash. Um, we don't have to get into all the specifics, but some very you know concerning uh, issues o- over the past. Uh, we, we need to remember that sometimes a lot of things happen to some of these performers and we move on and there are more stories that come. And for someone just specific, like a Kevin Nash, um, he lost his son 12 weeks ago and the wrestling world mourns these losses. It's tragic. And then th- we move on, but they do not. And I think we should always keep keep in mind um, the Pew family has been forever altered uh over the last 24 hours and it's important to think about these people as well as they will continue to struggle even when um they are not um being discussed on a daily basis as well so i just want to mention those two as well uh during during this week because i know there was a lot of concern for them after uh some of the posts over the last uh, day or so Mm -hmm. So that is going to bring an end to uh, a heavy edition of Rewinded Dynamite. Thanks again for everyone uh, joining us. Um, we are going to be back Thursday. Uh, we are going to be putting out Small Talk. Uh, this is the show we were recording on Tuesday night, but out of uh, respect to what was going on, we wanted to delay that a couple of days. Um, so that is going to be put out for our double-double ice cap and espresso cafe members on Thursday. Way will also be back with Neil and Jordan Goodman at 2 p.m. Eastern time for the wellness policy. And what are you guys going to be discussing? We will be joined by Matt Halpern of the Bain Periphery 
who uh, is one of Jordan's good friends, and uh, he'll be joining us to talk about a topic that, you know, he's struggled with a long time, and that is anxiety. You know, he is a very, very popular musician, uh, drummer for a very successful rock band, and uh, I'm very curious to hear, you know, um, what his thoughts are on the topic, and if you guys have any that you would like to share, uh, or just simply if you want to listen to the discussion, youtube.com slash postwrestling Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, That'll be available in archive form on the Post Wrestling Cafe dot com website for free and the last couple of things uh this sunday uh phil chair talk will be back for a special uh one one-time appearance with eric marcotte to do a ufc 283 post show uh, that will be live on the channel at 1 p.m eastern time and they will also be giving out their their year-end awards for 2022 and i will be submitting a list to them as well sunday night way and i are back we're doing a cafe show going through the wrestle kingdom 17 part two event as well as the muda final bye-bye event we will talk about the main event at least on that show and the final thing is next week we're planning a special show next thursday night on january 26th this will be available for all post wrestling cafe members we are doing another watch along it will be myself waiting and brandon from new jersey and we are going to be watching the 1997 Royal Rumble match, the Battle Royal itself. So this will be about a, a 60 minute or, sh- or so watch along with the three of us available. Uh, we will be going, uh, we will have the show up Thursday night, all patrons at postwrestlingcafe.com. The Royal Rumble that features the likes of the fake diesel, uh, Mil Moscris and so many more. Terry Funk, all at the Alamo Dome, the site of this year's Royal Rumble. Is that right? Wow. There you go. Wow. What a great tie in and what a great selection from yeah. Brandon. This was a Brandon selection. So we will be, if you, if you <laughs> caught the WBF watch along, I am the brand along. Yes. Uh, Very good, Jake. Yes. We might use that. So that will be, uh, the WBF one was a lot of fun. So I wanted to try this again. So it'll be two days before this year's Royal Rumble, Thursday night, postwrestlingcafe.com. All members will have access to that watch along. So way, thank you as always, uh, for, for joining me and, uh, going through, uh, a very difficult, uh, bunch of news in the wrestling world. And to all of you for joining us, that will conclude rewind to dynamite. What's so special about hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.